Well, hello and welcome to this edition of the DMZ America podcast. It is Thursday, December 15th, 2022 AD, or the Common Era, depending on how you measure these things. <laughs> I am editorial cartoonist Scott Stantis coming to you from the right. And I'm editorial cartoonist Ted Rawl coming to you from the left. I think we may have just had the longest pre pre-podcast uh, conversation we've ever had, and that was because... <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all out now. Sorry, we have no more energy for you guys. Thank Bye. you for listening. We'll be back next week. With- <laughs> Where can we find your work, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> um, so why don't we just, uh, we'll just dive right into this. Ted wrote, wrote a great column about pronouns. He And um, Ted and I are also involved, and I digress for just a second, in this thing called Center Clip, and it's uh, effectively a 30-second to five-minute mini podcast and it's a it's an app that these very smart fellows have launched and i really suggest that you uh get it on your phone uh ted has been really good at posting lately and posted a phenomenal post recently about pronouns and their use and how you know uh there are pronoun wars, you know, don't make me woke from the right, of course. And the other side say, how dare you You call me what I want to be called. Ted, you had a shockingly <laughs> nuanced, nuanced hey. and, and, and actually very compassionate and empathetic approach to this issue. And if you could, so go ahead and say what you said on, on, uh, on center clip and well, uh, we'll talk more about it. Sure. Well, I mean, so basically, uh, this was came out of a column that I wrote for syndication this week, which you can found at, find at my website, rawl.com. Um, and it's basically, it's about, it was prompted by Elon Musk's controversial tweet. It was kind of controversial in two ways. Last week, he uh, tweeted out, uh, my pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci. So obviously, criticism of Fauci is always, by definition, controversial. But uh, I didn't address that in my piece. I uh, I was the the transgender community was uh, upset about anything that sort of makes fun of of uh, of this sort of drive for new pronouns and new gender terms. And so basically, um, I was thinking about how uh, in 1972, uh, I remember I was nine years old. Uh, my mom received the first issue of Ms. Magazine. Uh, which was edited by uh, Gloria Steinem. The can I say your mom was Ms. Magazine? By the way, when I by the time I met her, she was. I can totally see that. So go on. Totally. She, so yeah. she was. Yeah. And so it was interesting because I remember when it came. I was nine years old, and I was like, "What's a Ms.? A Ms.?" And my mom explained, "Well, so it's like you know, normally up until that point, uh, when you met a woman, you had to." try to guess or ideally know whether she was married or not. And based on that information, her marital status, she was a miss or she was a missus. Uh, Ms. eliminated that. And uh, and the idea was that just basically you call all men Mr. You call all women Ms. The end. Uh, it takes away some, uh, you know, patriarchal, uh, vestigial, patri- vestigial patriarchy. And Yeah. Can I jump in and say that people for, for, the, for uh, our, our younger listeners, uh, people used to, I mean, uh, this is hilarious. A couple of weeks ago, Ted, Janine got a, we got a piece of mail and it was addressed to Mrs. Scott Stantis. Oh yeah. That's, that's like, that was usual. I would sell yeah. well, well into the seventies, maybe yeah. into, among conservative people among the eighties. Yeah, I'm sorry. 80s. How fucked up is that? I'm, I'm just, just like, you have no identity at all. Yeah. Period. No. Yeah, like, yeah. Literally. Like if you were a dude who was married eight times, you'd have a, you know, a bunch of Mrs. Scott Stantis's in your wake. 
Yeah, um, they they kept it after divorce. You're right. And and so that's just weird as shit. Um, okay, go on. I'm sorry I interrupted. Yeah. So so basically, um, I was thinking about Miz, and I thought you know that was adapted incredibly quickly. Miz became standard. Um, I looked it up. The General Accounting Office ex- uh, literally adapted um, Miz as an officially uh, legal form of address a month after Miz Magazine debuted. Um, oh my god. It was, this was under the Nixon administration, and he was not as conservative as people think, but but still, no. that was remarkable. And um, he, and then you know, basically, uh, it became it just spread like wildfire. Uh, and then you know, th- there really wasn't any significant pushback, even by conservatives, against Ms. Whereas, like um, you know, obviously the the pronoun wars now that Elon Musk is is alluding to is far more uh, fraught. And look, even among liberals, there's a lot of people who are really uncomfortable with a all these new gender identities like uh, you know gender fluid, um, two spirits, um, a lot of these things that people don't really you know uh, demisexual. Like, what do they mean? I don't know. New York City officially recognizes 31 uh, distinct gender identities uh, in, and so I mean, who can even list 31? And there's all there's. Uh, you know, there's the they them thing. And then there's kind of like the absurdity that like among woke circles, you know, I walk into a room and literally I'm supposed to have like on my name tag, uh, you know, my, my name is Ted, my pronouns are he him. I mean, I'm sorry, this is solving a non-existent problem. Everyone always knew that my pronouns were he him always. And, um, you know, and I'm and like I said, in my piece, I'm not the most butch dude in the world, but, you know, my it's pretty clear. So. Yeah. So I was wondering about sort of Elon Musk is sort of tapping into in his loutish way, uh, sort of this discomfort with this. Why is this? Why is there pushback? And I realized what it is, is and I do believe that everybody has the right to be called what they want. Right. So I would agree, actually. And I alluded to the fact that, like, for example, when I was, you know, my legal name is Frederick Theodore Rall III. Um, So when my my first name is Frederick, is Frederick. And my my fellow my a lot of my classmates in first grade would be like called me Fred or Freddie, which I hated because it was when the Flintstones were popular and they just thought it was hilarious. So uh, I started going. <laughs> I, 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 my mother suggested uh, that I could I could go by Ted from Theodore instead, and I introduced myself as that starting in second grade. And even so, there were some cocks who insisted on calling me Fred. And that still has happened in recent years. Oh, you, but your real name is Freddie. It's like, uh, my real name is whatever the fuck I say it is. And, um, and I, you know, it's kind of like how the, you can look at the state department website and childishly, they still call Myanmar uh, Burma, but the old British colonial name. Now the socialist Republic of Myanmar has been that since 1989. And uh, you know, it's, it's like, the same government, the same, uh, and if it's just political, um, you know, the, the U.S. government has acknowledged the changes uh, from Congo to Zaire back to Congo, even though the Zaire thing was under a horrible despot. Um, uh, the they recognized the change from Cambodia to Kampuchea under you know an incredibly brutal despot regime. Yeah, Khmer Rouge, Khmer Rouge in the late seventies, right? Paul Pot murdered millions of people. So even so, they're like they were cool with that. And whatever you think of the government of Myanmar, it's kind of like that's the that's the name of the country. Let's call it that. You know, it's kind of like when people say the Ukraine. It's not the Ukraine anymore. It's just Ukraine. Um, uh, so I don't know. It's it, um, so I do think you know 
everybody has the right to be called what they want. But why this is ha- this is difficult in catching on is linguistic. It is you're adding. I mean, the the Ms. thing solved a problem. It made things that were complicated simpler. Um, this change that uh, we are being um, asked, and I think we have we should comply with uh, for transgender people, is more complicated. And there's not there's also the Z, the Z, and the Y, and all those other alternative uh, pronouns that are are kind of confusing, even more confusing. So it's a, you're adding a level of complexity. And most, I was checked the polls, most Americans say they have never met anyone who's transgender. So it seems like like an abstraction to them. Um, it's So it's like you're, you know, it's like, that's why, and I think that's why it's, uh, there's pushback. And I think, you know, it's. Well, the one thing that, that I was taken by, by your, by your um, center clip piece is just the empathy that's saying, you know, the, um, the, 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 the community that, that, uh, Oh God! The trans community needs to educate people because you're right. Ms. was easy. Ms. combined two words, Mrs. and Miss, and it was you understood it the second that you saw it. Right. This takes some educating, and if you want to uh, be, you know, help educate people. Um, don't go from zero to zero to pissed off because someone calls you he, her, whatever but rather have some empathy for the person on the other side, just as, just as you are demanding empathy from them. Yeah. Well, that's what the thing is. You are, you're demanding empathy from them and you're entitled to that empathy as a human being, but you are realistically going to have to educate cis people um, to uh, understand, for example, why they should call themselves cis as opposed to just male or female. Um, You know, you're going to have to educate people why, you know, what, pronouns should be used and when, uh, and, and, you know, it's like, and why they should introduce themselves by their pronouns if, or maybe back away from that and say that, like, I mean, I think it's kind of like ridiculous. Um, I think it's like people whose pronouns are maybe not immediately visually apparent. Um, you know, certainly, um, it's reasonable to, for them to introduce themselves if they want to, but like for those who don't want to, you know, like, I don't really, feel like I'm solving any problem. I feel like it's ridiculous. It's like saying, look at me, I'm white. I mean, obviously I'm white. Um, you know, I, there are people who look like me who identified as something other than white or who were something other than white or are something other than white. And in that case, maybe it should be brought up, but generally speaking things, most of the time things are exactly as they seem. And, you know, so like for the, for the sake of ease, maybe just let's not make things more complicated, but it's not for me to say, all I'm saying is if this is the the route you want to take and make things more complicated, then you are going to, you have to educate people if you wanted to take, if you wanted to, uh, to stay. Right. And that comes from, like I said, from an, an empathetic heart and an empathetic culture, which, uh, oh, wait a minute. We're not, <laughs> we've become this hard edged, terrible. Well, think about all the words, mean. all the different terms in our lifetime, Scott, for black people. Um, that we've gone gone through. I mean, when I was a kid, it was Afro-American was the term of choice. Oh, I'm I'm older than you, so I remember Negro. Okay, so well, I, yeah, I mean, still, it's the um, you know the NAACP, right? Uh, colored, it's still the National Association for the Advancement yeah. of Colored People. Um, the so uh, I remember for my first day of first grade, I was uh, sent to an integrated school, and I was and the kids on the bus were very. They said, "Oh, we're going to see colored kids." 
today. And I didn't know what they were talking about, but I was really disappointed because I there were no, <laughs> no red or green or blue kids at all. I mean, this is a total ripoff. And um, and so the um, so, yeah, so there was so, you know, obviously there's been a, a lot of terms. African-American, I think, is kind of falling out of favor. Then now is it? Then, I think so. And then oh, I think so what's 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 the term du jour now? Well, I think black and, and you know, as a um as a as a title case word, right? Oh, like okay. And it's also it's it's stylistically odd because like now papers like the Washington Post have uh, they capitalize black but not white. Um so it's it looks weird in a sentence. Like for example, it'll say the population is something percent black and something percent white, and you're like this is very, it's lopsided and weird looking grammatically. Um, I don't know that there's an elegant solution. I think it's basically like, you know, it's, it's your, it's your duty as a citizen um, of the world to keep the, keep up with things and call people what they want to be called. And that's it, you know, yeah, but, yeah. but, but, yeah, I know, don't have a problem. But, with but at the same time, if someone's old and they haven't kept up and they use, uh, you know, a ter- uh, like a term like Oriental, which is obviously completely disfavored now uh, for Asian people. You know, it's not always coming from a place of bigotry or racism. It's often coming from a place of just not keeping up with the news, you know? Yeah, they were talking about, um, uh, you know, canceling John Wayne. He gave that interview in Playboy, I believe, in the 70s, where he's pretty harsh on uh, on the Black population of America. And um, a comedian whose name escapes me at the moment, but he talks about, he says, of course he talks this way. He was born in 1913. <laughs> That's right. when he grew up. Now, you know, are you going to scream and yell about someone? I mean, and the cancellation, and what's curious to me, Ted, is the cancellation of people from the 19th century and so on who, you know, used heinous words and heinous slurs. And, but that was the, you know, that was the, the, binocular, the vocabulary back then. But they don't say anything about, say, Plato. They don't go back to Plato or Aristotle, who had fucking slaves. Right. And that was, and actually made a case for, well, of course we have slaves. There are people who are slaves. Well, yeah, that was, <laughs> I mean, I do think you have, and that's kind of my beef against people who like Thomas Jefferson is probably my favorite American president, but he owned slaves. I'm like, yes, he did. But he argued for emancipation um, politically, which would have bankrupted him. And he knew it and he, and he pushed hard for it. And, and he also, that was, the, you know, he was a Virginia planter. That's the world he was born into. So not everybody um, had the foresight to become an abolitionist. Now, I would say by the 1840s, all right thinking, smart Americans were abolitionists, you know, but like it things it took a while for things to evolve. Well, yeah, I mean, and what's interesting is one signer of the Declaration of Independence, one did not use slaves on moral for moral reasons. One mm. for, for and that's John Adams. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, you can you can look at Jefferson and you can say, but, you know, you don't hear them wailing again. Let's cancel Button Gwinnett. <laughs> Thank you. That, that, Thank that's, you. A, that's, a, that's a nice take a victory lap for that <laughs> moment of historical geekery. <laughs> yeah, but for those of you unaware, <laughs> Button Gwinnett <laughs> was a signer. There are only two known signatures of his. One of them is on the Declaration of Independence, and there's one other existing. I'll and it's the check. <laughs> great buying a slave um <laughs> what but yeah for for people who collect autographs it's the holy grail of, of american american autographs yeah 
Oh, really? Okay. Button, what a great name too. Button Gwinnett. He sounds like a like an old timey like like he was in the Chicago Black Sox or something, right? Like, doesn't it sound like he was like a a, a very early comedic actor in the silent film era? Or yeah, that's true. A or, film with Button Gwinnett, or 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 a, or a early rugby player or something. I know. Could you imagine? That? I mean, even okay, come on, even in the 18th century. Oh, we have it's a baby boy. Oh, how lovely! What shall we name him? I always like that. What is what's that on your shirt? It's a button. There it is. <laughs> it, do you think do you think that was a, his his legal name was something else? And then he like you think it's a nickname? nickname? Yeah, like 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 uh, what's his name? Uh, who was that like right wing? Uh, oh, like Scooter Libby. Like that became his legal name, but it was a nickname. He Scooter became legal. I believe so. Well, that's insane. But uh, can you imagine a nickname? Thomas Scooter Jefferson. <laughs> oh, it's like, or it's like, it's like, uh, you know, it's like uh, our fellow cartoonist, Sparky Schultz. People don't, not everyone knows that that was, he well, really, it's, he really well, did like to be called that. Yeah, no, I know it was weird though. Which is he, weird because he's an old dude, like Sparky. He, yeah, he was the age of my dad. And to call him Sparky was just kind of, he said, call me Sparky. I go, again. People no. can be called whatever the fuck they want. Yes. Even oh, if it's even we if brought it's it back. We bring even it back. If even if it's stupid, which even. Is, and I think the sparky thing is a little stupid. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, see how we see how we brought it all back together and make it tied into a neat little package. That's what we do here at DMZ America podcast. <laughs> uh, we're going to uh, tie this one up as a matter of fact. And then the next segment, we're going to talk about um, civil liberties in the homeless. Okay. I like this. You like this? You down with this? You picking up what I'm putting down? I'm up for it, yeah. All right. And welcome back to the second segment of the DMZ America podcast. As I mentioned before, it's Thursday, December 15th, 2022. By the way, Ted, this is episode 79. They, they say it's uh, always about sweet number 79. Who, who amongst <laughs> us hasn't said that? <laughs> is it, I'm it divides so evenly into nothing. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, wait a minute. Nothing. Yeah, you're right. 20- is it, it might be a prime number. I'm not, I don't even know about that. Um, yeah, I think it might be I a was, prime number. I'm I, was that told there'd be, I was told there'd be no math. Um, <laughs> well, I'm so, shut up. God, <laughs> son of a son of a teacher. Yes, 79 is a prime number. Look at that shit. Woo! And we're a prime podcast. I'm Scott Stanis. I'll be coming to you from the right. And I'm Ted Rawl, and I'll be coming to you from the left. So um before we started this, we had once one topic picked, and this one is actually much more interesting, and that's the homeless. Uh, Ted, where you live in New York City, uh, Mayor Adams, is that right? Adams? That's yeah. right. Eric Adams, yeah. Eric Adams is now doing, ha- has a program for the homeless, which is pretty much what? Well, so um, this is a new thing. So basically, it's um, a longstanding controversy about when people are uh, mentally ill and sleeping outside, especially when it's really cold, it is today, I woke up, it was 30 degrees, um, you know, should the police or other uh, city agency have the right to uh, not just offer shelter, uh, but if it, even if uh, they don't want 
to be taken away, whether it should be possible to forcibly remove them from public space and uh, and take them to a shelter or some other facility. Eric Adams has uh, decided to endorse uh, forcible removals and uh, in the wake of uh, violent attacks by homeless people in the subways, um, a, a huge exploding, expanding population of mentally ill people on the streets of the of the city, and so uh, that is starting now. Um, you know that there's a lot of issues around this. Uh, I'm really interested in your take as a libertarian uh, about this. I mean, basically, it's kind of the roots of this go back to the deinstitutionalization that began in the 1970s after the scandal at Creedmoor, and uh, and then, of course, uh, accelerated under the Reagan administration, where a lot of uh, mental, um, um, uh, a lot of uh, asylums were shut down, and people were thrown out into the streets, and uh, so we saw a huge expansion of of homeless people. I'm smiling at you because they 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 couched it as a civil libertarian issue when you and I both know. Come on, no, it's, it was a bu- it was a budget cutting thing, of course. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, certainly, I mean, obviously, these mental asylums, a lot of them were pretty dreary, disgusting places. Um, And there was a lot of abuse and people were tied to their beds and uh, forcibly medicated and beaten and raped and all sorts of terrible things happened. Um, But then they were just kicked out on the streets where they didn't even get their meds. And, you know, a lot of them committed suicide or just basically deteriorated and decompensated. So that's basically been the way of the world since then. And there's been other approaches like the Giuliani administration kind of like had a habit of sweeping them up, sweeping up the homeless, but not uh, imprisoning them. They would just take them to the outer boroughs and dump them like out Jesus. in like the outer reaches of Brooklyn or, or Queens, just so that like the, the streets of Midtown were prettier and more homeless free. They do that in LA as well, by the way, just Los Angeles, just, just in case anyone was wondering, uh, my wife is from Los Angeles, was from San Pedro, which is the Harbor area in the city. Uh, took from the core and put them on a bus and dumped them in San Pedro, very close to the harbor, not into the harbor, although I suspect that was next. <laughs> that's So, yeah, so that's basically where we are. I mean, I think most people, most listeners are aware of this. Um, and so now this is definitely a uh, reversal because of policy, a, a dramatic reversal of policy, because liberals have always been on the side of, you know, don't know if, if people don't want help, uh, they, they have the right to refuse it. And if they want to sleep outside, that's their right as Americans. And we and no one should grab them, even no matter how mentally ill they are. Just like they, I mean, it, and so what it goes to is a really interesting, or I should say a really basic uh, question of philosophy, right? Which is about free will. Do you have free will if you're severely mentally ill? Uh, and if you're moderately mentally ill, how much free will do you have? And if you don't have free will, like, you know, I mean, no one would say that, say, a baby sleeping on the street has free will. So, uh, you know, everyone would say, obviously, mental, you know, common sense dictates that a baby who's on the street should be picked up and taken somewhere warm and cared for. Why not an adult in a, who also is not, doesn't have free will? There are extenuating circumstances on that. I really, one, but- this is an interesting question because you can really, I can really argue it either way. Yeah, so can I. But I would say as a civil libertarian, I think. You know, I, I'm not an absolutist on this because Ted and I recently were having this discussion. I was in Chicago for a business meeting and um, visiting the Tribune and where I draw. And um, 
the homelessness situation up there has gotten so bad. And Ted and I were doing dueling, dueling um, uh, subway platform stories of being screamed at by a Looney Tunes. And um, excuse me for using terms like this, but it is, I'm sorry, it's, <laughs> it's terrifying. And it is, um, I, I, this guy was pointing at stuff that was terrifying him and trying to let us and pointing it out to us. And there was nothing there. Uh, but he was clearly dangerous and he was a danger to himself. And that therein lies the legal justification for scooping people up. Ted, excuse me, pardon me if I'm wrong here, but the whole uh, uh, scooping up, did was it Giuliani or was it whoever followed him who had a policy of take, you'd pick up the home, you'd go to the homeless, you'd find some guy uh, in, a, in a doorway. And you'd say, listen, we have a place for you to stay. You're going to get a warm meal. You can get a shower. You're going to have a cot. You know, it's going to be in, in blankets. It's going to be indoors. Come along with us. And they would offer it. And if the if the person adamantly refused, then they would pick them up. Then they could pick them up. They could arrest them or take them into the city custody. Um, does that program ring any bells? That has not been, that has not been city policy here for a long time. Is that right? Am I remembering from like 20 years ago? Because I think you're remembering from longer than that because Giuliani was in the late 90s. So, uh, and then after that, we had Michael Bloomberg, and that was not the policy under Bloomberg, and certainly not under De Blasio. So, what was the, what was the, what were their policies? Basically the same. Basically not um, the the help is offered. If it's declined, then the police respected that decision, and, uh, and oh left oh them. oh and left left them on the street. Okay, no, this was they actually took them into custody. Uh, city custody say that they're a danger to themselves clearly you know and it would this would be on nights when the low was going to be seven degrees and you know i think, I think Giuliani did have yeah mm-hmm. and that, that to me seemed to uh you know a, a very humane way to address this issue um we were talking before we, we started well, wait, but there's no choice then though right i mean well i because if you're a danger to yourself if your mental accruity is so diminished and and it can be a myriad of reasons um what happens to the homeless? Is, Soviet, though, right? Like, oh, Scott, could yes, would you, well, that and that's the danger. Like this, would you like this shelter? Uh, no, I would not. Wrong answer. <laughs> you're under arrest. Well, the Soviets. If, but if the answer is yes, oh, well, you're under arrest. <laughs> well, according to Solzhenit- Alexander Solzhenitsyn, you could, they would come to you and say, "Do you love the state?" Hmm. And if you said no, well, clearly you were nuts, right? Because who know? wouldn't love the state? Yes, I mean you. But that's giving you everything you don't have. Right. <laughs> um, but my wife Janine worked with the homeless for many, many years in Chicago and got to know many of them. As and I did too. We we went out and socialized with them and hung out and stuff. And uh, one of the stranger experiences was walking through the the, uh, the the L stations and some guy get off his cardboard and go Janine and run up and give her a hug. I'm like, huh. Uh-huh. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't like jealous because I was actually, I'm thinking, gee, but you ah, could- some of those homeless guys are hot. Yeah, really. There's something about and really high quality cardboard. Um, <laughs> but viewing it through those eyes and, and see, clearly there was a mental health component. And what happens is that, me- and this, this, this is probably well, I mean, homeless, becomes, this you, be- you become, I mean, look, even if you were perfectly sane when you hit the streets, I mean, you know, sleeping outside does make you decompensate. I mean, you literally, uh, you know, you're not eating well, you're exposed to the, your, your internal temperature is, is plunging every day. Uh, you're malnourished, you're, you know, so, I mean, you are, 
plunging into a deep depression. P- human beings are not meant to sleep on sidewalks. Right. But there is a mental, there's a massive mental health component to this. I mean, I, we, sure. went out, we went to an opera um, with a, a couple of, of clients for the uh, uh, Catholic, uh, Catholic charities. And I mean, this was as delightful as dinner I've had with you, Ted. This guy was brilliant brilliant conversationalist, uh, grasp of knowledge of numerous, um, numerous issues, new, numerous subjects, well-read, pheno- articulate, phenomenal guy, but just preferred sleeping in shelters. That was the life choice he made. Um, but a lot of them were self-medicating. They had mental issues. So I knew a guy like quite that. Profound. I knew a guy yeah. like that, like in terms of the personal choice thing, it was in the eighties. I had, I had a job at a Japanese bank in Midtown. And um, there was a young guy, good looking guy, charming, smart, uh, educated, um, you know, white, normal, you know, generic dude, like cis male, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Anyway, he um, he uh, he uh, he smelled bad. And uh, people in the operations section would complain to me. I was a young loan (laughs) officer and they're like, oh, you know, Nathan, he smells bad. He stinks. And, you know, I didn't. I didn't know what's going on. And um, so I, you know, I, I was asked by my bosses to talk to him. I was like, you're American. He's American. You know, we don't, we, we don't want to deal with him with your stinky American friend. So, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, what's up? Like how, you know, you, you gotta like, you know, there's been complaints. You need to like take care of your personal hygiene. Uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'll, I'm on it. Uh, but it didn't get better. And then one day uh, I was, we were still trying to figure out what to do about him because he was a good worker and, uh, but he smelled bad. Um, we, I I'm walking through grand central station on my way to work and I saw him like on a bench, like next to other homeless people. And I was like, Hey, Nathan. And so anyway, he's like, I'll explain everything over drinks after work. So I'm like, okay. So we went out for drinks and he took, and he confided that, you know, with what he was being paid, uh, he, by, by sleeping, uh, in the station, it was affordable and he did, he would have otherwise been spending everything he earned on rent. And he was like, but this way I can save a little money um, and I'll, you know, I, I can get ahead. And um, I'm, I'm just don't want to, uh, he made an, a rational economic decision like that rent in New York city was too expensive for him and uh, it wasn't worth it. He's like, I'll, I'll do that. I'll bypass that. And so he you know, bathed in public restrooms, used the Y. Um, I think he, you know, he, he, public uh, pools were at that time, like basically free. Um, and, uh, but it was fascinating. Um, he did, he did ultimately disappear in the funniest way. We had oh, these, God, we, okay, we okay. had, so we, so we had like private taxi services, kind of like proto Uber that we could call if we stayed at work until eight o'clock at night. And they, we had these vouchers for the company uh, that that did it. Anyway, one day, uh, this, the vouchers were like cash. And uh, one day he vanished and it was like, holy shit, Nathan took a taxi to Florida. <laughs> it was like, no. It's like, what? And it was like, yeah, it's like four grand. And everyone was like, holy shit. But here's the thing. He stole, he stole like a giant booklet of these like, uh, love taxi vouchers. So every now and then, it's like Nathan's on the move. He's in St. Louis, <laughs> and like there's nothing we could do. It's like it's like they can't be canceled. They were. Did you, you, ever, know, did, 
Did you ever catch him or see him or any? any no, he was gone, daddy gone. Every now and then, though, uh, he'd call me and like talk to me. <laughs> be like, hey, I miss you. Just wanted to say hi. And uh, and I was like, oh, but, and he got his shit together. And I mean, it worked out for him, the whole sleeping on the bench at Grand Central thing. It, it's weird. Yeah, it is weird. But um, I, I guess my point here is that, um, and this is, like I said, this is homelessness 101. I imagine many of our listeners already know this, but you, you, you're not that far from homelessness. Uh, you are right. a broke, you are a broken down car away from homelessness. That's all it takes. True. Uh, many of the, uh, but now, now let's uh, lump uh, mental health on top of that. Whatever your, your particular mental health disorder is, you work very hard at trying to medicate it and you can't go to doctors because, you know, America, you can't afford it. Uh, so you try to self-medicate and you self-medicate with weed, you self-medicate with, um, uh, you know, with heroin, you know, you, you self, and of course now we have the fentanyl crises, which by the way, that's another podcast. Cause that's, that's, that issue is amazing. Fentanyl is literally, I'm um, sorry, not fentanyl opioids and of which fentanyl is one is now the leading cause of death in the United States for Americans under age 45, now surpassing suicide and automobile accidents. Yeah, think about this for a moment. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine who's an anesthesiologist who was telling me, I was telling, tell me about fentanyl. I don't know much of what is it. He says it's it's he says it's great because he gives a little bit of it to his patients before they go into surgery. And he said, You're about to have your, you know, amputated from the waist down. And they're like, Okay, that's cool, man. <laughs> um, he said, but if it's un if it's unprocessed and not, you know, administered appropriately, Ted, two uh, fentanyl the size of two. Uh, grains of rice is enough to kill you. Well, that's that's why people are dying, dropping like flies. And drug dealers are putting it in cocaine, which shocks me because cocaine is supposed to be like, oh, you know, you do a you do a rail, and you're like, woohoo, I'm I'm, I'm going to be up all night. Well, yeah, I didn't know that cocaine was ever something that needed a boost. Well, apparently, the, and it does, and I'm just shocked that dealers put it in there. I'm trying to understand the economics of killing your clientele. Well, but do you do you know the psychology of this, Ted? This is fascinating. I I, I, I talked to someone who deals with d- d- drug addiction on the street, and if you hear that someone took this guy got this like this opioid and it killed him, that must be good stuff. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I am not kidding. Oh no, I That's- knew I knew a guy Scott who he killed himself in Thailand by ingesting elephant tranquilizer. Now he was a sweet dude. But I got to say, this is Darwinism at its finest. You know, me, I look at a 20,000 pound animal and I don't think that a drug for him is a drug for me. Just say. Yeah, I think that yeah, common sense would probably take you from that point A to that point B. You're absolutely right. Um, but in the world, and this, so we're going to, again, we're coming back to the original point, which is- Bringing the, it back, bringing it back. Which is the mental health status of many, of like a vast majority of people on the street that's how they think. Oh my God, that must be great stuff if it killed them. Yeah. Which is like, no, no. Are, are you wait? Are you are you forgetting the dead part? Um, yeah. No, I can see why this because everyone well, thinks. Look, it's like everybody's like everybody thinks they can get a car into a car and not be, you know, and not end up in a car accident. Everybody thinks they can go to they can join the military and not come back in a casket. Everybody thinks they can drink a lot and not suffer from alcohol poisoning. I mean, we all do this every single day, right? We're all taking risks. So 
you know, people who are out for drugs, they're always worried that they're not going to get high. So if something and, kills uh, it, you, at least, you know, it's strong. And the eventual point of getting high is oblivion, which I had not thought of it that way, but it's, but once you put that in that way, I think, oh yeah, that actually makes sense. Nothing's closer to oblivion than, well, oblivion. <laughs> well, uh, so, so let's get back to the original dark. point, how I feel as a civil libertarian, should mm -hmm. anyone be able to be scooped up against their will? Yes. If they're a danger to themselves or the people around them. And you and I have both seen people on the subway platforms and these guys were clearly a danger to themselves or to the people around them. You can assess them. I'm talking about a system that's going to take billions upon billions of dollars that we have sucked out of the mental health system and we have to put it back in. The second part of that is that social workers who we pay criminally low amounts of money to, I mean, literally, I, I believe they make somewhere in the neighborhood of, on average here in Alabama of 48000 a year. And they continually cut their numbers. So their caseloads, of course, increase exponentially. Um, I would increase the number of and, and pay social workers more to because managing these guys' lives is really important. Three, you need to have housing for them. You can't start with sobriety. That doesn't, it's not where this, this, the, the answer to this equation starts. So those three things, I've just mentioned a literally, Ted, a multi trillion dollar process. Of course, it's not handing those checks over to corporations, you know, who falsely make COVID claims, but you know, this might be just as helpful. We are clearly, I mean, if you've been to LA, San Diego, San Francisco, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, uh, Orlando, this issue is clearly not going away. It's not solving itself. And we have to address it in a serious in humane way. This is this is a question that calls us to our the utmost of our humanity. And while conservatives aren't known for that, <laughs> particularly, this is one of those areas where I could, as a conservative, as a social libertarian, I can say, yes, we need to put the resources towards this if we're going to have any kind of practical impact on it. Well, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think uh I'm I think we cannot do forcible removal until we have facilities to remove people forcibly too, which we currently don't. We don't have- Well, we have facilities, but Ted, let's New say- New York City, when they started, announced this plan, they said that they had a whopping, count them, eight beds available. I doubt they had that. I bet that's a lie. They, yeah. have, they have facilities that were designed to handle 1,700 people in Chicago that currently have 3,900 people in them. Now, I'm not a math major. I've mentioned this before on this podcast, but I would say 3,900 is more than 1,500. I would say so. Uh, these facilities are bursting at the seams. So we have, I couldn't agree. I'm sorry, I'm just jumping in. So I couldn't agree with you more. We have to build the facilities that humanely house these people. Well, if only there was a stupid war that the United States is involved in right now that we could suck a little money out of. Uh, we'll oh, no, no, no. Ted, we are going to address that in the next segment. By gum, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> oh, by the way, Scott, I just want to point out uh, before we uh, we we uh, move into the next segment, I think our listeners need to know, uh, as you and I both know, that there's a important news uh, in the world of flamethrower drone technology. Uh, I... <laughs> um, yes. No, this is yeah. true. So as uh, as longtime listeners know, uh, the Throw Flame uh, Throw Flame Corp, uh, a number of several years ago, developed 
uh, our favorite weapon, which is the uh, which is a flamethrower drone, which you can own and 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 use for fun and profit. Uh, and but it's it's kind of an expensive item. Uh, you know, the holidays are upon us. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And bear in mind, I do have an Amazon wish list, and you don't have to, <laughs> not limited to the items <laughs> that I have asked for. Uh, you can send me something else, like say a flamethrower drone. Oh, um, that's not on your wish list because it's on mine. <laughs> well, okay, or you can send one to Scott, and I'll borrow his when I'm uh, when I'm when I, when I'm in Birmingham. But I would say uh, that the uh, that yeah. So anyway, but there's a new, but now there's competition. Uh, there's another company that has entered the world of flamethrower drones. Uh, what they're doing is they allow you to attach the flamethrower attachment to your pre-existing drone. So if you already have a non-flamethrower drone, you can flame it up with the flamethrower <laughs> attachment. Uh, and uh, and so I think this is you know this is like a more economical model for people who are already. Uh... And I just think we're it's we're moving into a wonderful new world where the skies are constantly full of flame, <laughs> where a bird will not be able to traverse the sky without getting singed or burned up. Let me put this, let me put our listeners into the mindset of yesterday afternoon, I'm working away in my office. All of a sudden my phone goes, Bring! and it's a text. And I look at it and it's from Ted Rawl. <laughs> and it is informing me that the NDLY 600 Pro Flamethrower Drone Attachment for the DJ1 M600. Um, it is an Ten times it, fast. It's an extendo. It's an extender that so you can actually like be more accurate and <laughs> more. Oh, germane. I mean that's 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 good, right? <laughs> <laughs> and this thing is just. It looks like a TARDIS now. I mean, for those of you who are Doctor Who fans, it really does look like exterminate. <laughs> um, it is. So, yeah. So, yeah, you can get the uh, for your if you happen to have a DJI M600 model flamethrower right. drone, you and now have really in this day and age. Yeah. I mean, come on. If you don't, you, if, if you're, you know, if you're you not, if you, yeah, you're, you're a not loser. The, if you don't have, if you don't play this, you're not in the game. It's that simple. Uh, so, so now this is like, and I, again, it's only, it's only 10, it's only uh, nine uh, shopping days before Christmas. Uh, but, uh, you know, remember your favorite editorial cartoonists, Ted and Scott, uh, who, you know, yes. we, and I, yes, I don't but, think it would be right really to give one just to Scott, because that would be like, uh, that would go against equity. Right. I mean, you know, they it would be a traditional disadvantaging of the left. Uh, <laughs> right. It's a, but, but it's also affordable at two thousand one hundred and forty two dollars. Right. Just put that on a credit card. Remember, the bill never comes. You don't have to worry. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, no, no. And just send that out and think about and, you know, what is two thousand one hundred and forty two dollars next to the gratitude of your favorite podcasting cartoonists? There it is. So. All right. All right. I'm looking forward. I'm going to wake up Christmas morning and run towards the tree and hope there's a long skinny I package. Of, I want one of each, really. Which one? One of each? I want, I want the traditional old, old style throw flame. Because, you know, look, that has the benefit of it's been out. It's been in the air for, for three years now. Um, We've described this video. By the way, it, it, and this, <laughs> and Ted sends me this video and it goes up to a tree, right? <laughs> And there's a hornet's nest and it's a sizable hornet's nest. This thing is huge. It's got to be like three feet wide by five feet tall. It's a lot of hornets. 
And it literally, the, the, the thing has to fly up to within a, like a couple of feet of it. And it just goes, and all of a sudden it just goes, <laughs> and spits out this flame that engulfs not just the hornet's but the entire fucking tree. <laughs> and then, it, and then the, the voice, the, the, the type over it says, take care of pests the easy way. And it, it shows it flying away, but you can tell. I don't think they meant to do this in the background. This tree is in flames. <laughs> I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah, the easy way. Is well, it really the easy way? Really? Well, it, it obliterates the the old growth forest. So you know, you don't, don't have to <laughs> yeah, worry. Well, it with... solves two problems now. There's not. There's no longer a place a, a place for the hornet's nest to to uh rebuild take purchase yeah to take purchase you're right you're absolutely right but this now with this the the uh, dji m600 attachment your ndly 600 uh will now make it more so you won't you there's a chance you won't take out the entire forest a small chance um and and not a chance that really one should take i think but i mean i also want to remind people just one last thing don't be that person. You know, like when you're a kid and you got like a battery operated toy, but like the person who gave it to you didn't put, give you the batteries. Don't be that person. Send be you know, like send the throne, the flamethrower drone to me or, me or Scott or both. Um, and, but you know, seriously, five gallons of, of gasoline, regular unleaded, uh, you know, is that what it takes? I'm not sure if it's actually, is there flamethrower juice? I have no idea. Yeah, no, it's, it takes gas. Yeah, it just takes oh, gas. Wow, that's it. Yeah, I don't know if it, I don't know if there's any advantages to premium. Um, you know. <laughs> what shows the person you're obliterating that you care? <laughs> well, it's like it's it's certainly classier to send premium. You know, yeah, ninety pre octane is like the way you, to go. When you push the kill button, your pinky's in the air. At the... <laughs> Because all right, we should probably close out this. Segment. Okay, I'm sorry right. that I totally derailed it, but whatever. That's all right. No, I love this. Is I mean, you can tell when we talk or how animated our voices get talking about the flamethrower drone. One of uh, these and, days. And, oh my god! And we're, we'll once you know, with, if one of us gets one, we're gonna have to do like a, a live cast video of like the first flight over Central Park. Oh, absolutely. Well, what do we? <laughs> Well, there that can take it that can that can that can cure can the, homeless the homeless problem <laughs> God, <I laughs> or it can solve the problem of the people who aren't taking care of the homeless depends that, on your ideological orientation yes yeah, city council all of a sudden you hear the speaker going does anyone hear a buzzing sound <laughs> oh the humanity <laughs> all right let's take us out scott okay we'll be back right after this bye <laughs> And we're back to the DMZ America podcast. I'm Scott Stantis coming to you from the right. And I'm Ted Rawl coming to you from the left and brought to you by Throwflame, the one the one flamethrower drone to have when you're looking for a flamethrower drone. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, okay, so the Republican Party, the grand old party, um, uh, what the hell's going on with this, Ted? I, my suggestion was we talk about it's war on war, which is many of the incoming Congress people are saying we need to cut funding to the Ukraine. Why are we doing this? This is stupid. They're following the, the raw doctrine. Uh, it's very strange. But 
during the build, when we were talking about this recording, the segment prior to recording it, we talked about a lot of the other stuff, the the move now to the anti-Trump um, stuff that they're now starting to kind of sort of spew. The establishment um, Republicans like Mitch McConnell. And- right. But it's also, yeah, it's others who are just saying, well, maybe a guy who has dinner with racists and Nazis may not be the guy we want to lead the party. Everyone, Look, I, I like I usually meet my Nazi friends for breakfast or brunch. Um, really you know, unlimited, <laughs> unlimited mimosas is is good when i'm hanging out with my friend david duke and you know whatever that sounds like a great podcast and brunching with nazis <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it, so, but i mean the republican party I, mean, I don't know that it knows what the hell it is anymore um they have some um they had some policies coming in which it looks like they're not going to be able to uh to actually act on early on. And the first and foremost was the debt ceiling. Um, McCarthy, who's the the presumptive incoming Speaker of the House, although that looks like that's up in the air right that's now. In the, that is up in the air, yeah. Uh, but he he said, we're going to fight that. And I kind of, and I didn't kind of, I agreed with him on that, that I think we've raised the debt ceiling far too many times. And we need to you know grow up and actually treat this in an adult way and not oh, come on doing Scott. It. i mean look it's it, the debt ceiling bill is stupid i mean no other other countries don't do it this way i mean if you want to make an argument for fiscal discipline i'm i'm all ears but like it's the debt ceiling is like a weird back end way to do it i mean i know it's very simple like congress if, if congress wants to have fiscal discipline they should spend less and and take in more revenue the end and like basically they should have net ideally you know take in more revenue than they spend and if they but if they don't do that then there is that's where the debt occurs right if they if they if they they if they raise a trillion dollars but they spend 1.1 trillion then you've got a hundred billion dollar debt added that year i mean it like going after the that's when the decision was made and like to basically then say like after the decision is made and you've made um you've already decided to allocate funds and you have the commitment to the, the holders of treasury bonds and treasury notes that you've made a commitment to and now you're going to risk defaulting on that debt um after you've already made that commitment it seems to me like it's almost like the problem with affirmative action right which is that you know you you don't you don't uh you know you don't educate people particularly from the inner cities well because you defund their elementary schools and their middle schools and then you know you let them into harvard and surprise surprise they have trouble um it's like you know fix the problem up front like just oh i agree but i think that that's what that's what this could have done is actually forced the um you know, the Congress into taking serious action on its, its spending versus this. I was just looking up. Do you remember the balanced budget amendment? Are you, you youngins? Uh, I do remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they tried to pass it, did not get, go very, very far, but well, gosh, it, would have bankrupted the, it would have bankrupted the United States because the government has been swimming in debt for a hundred years. I mean, you know, the, the, the U S expanded beyond its, I mean, all modern industrialized countries have, have expanded their economies beyond uh, actual increases in gross domestic product by borrowing. It's what they do, you know? Well, oh oh my goodness. Did you know this thing had been, they actually introduced this in 1936? Yeah, it was an anti-New Deal thing. Yeah, of course. 
But our debt now, which is now, you know, the debt obligation that this, the federal budget, almost 10% of it's going towards uh, paying the, the interest in our, in our, in our, uh, our, our deficit. It's well, crazy. To, and to bring it back, um, according to the uh, website, antiwar.com, 54% of every federal dollar goes to either wars or debt service on old wars. So yeah, I mean, that's E-word nuts. is debt service. We're still paying off the Korean War. Boy, and we didn't even win that one. Oh, we haven't. We we hardly ever win wars. You know, Gr- Grenada. We did win Grenada. Um, I guess the first Gulf War. You yeah. could say Panama. Panama. Um, mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. could say Panama, maybe. Okay, so let me b- double back on the uh, <clears throat> the anti-Trump stuff too. That the some of the establishment Republicans are doing. I'm getting so fed up, especially with the mainstream media saying Trump is done. We're going, we're going to, the Republican Party is going to move forward. Wishful and, thinking. Yeah, that's horseshit. He's running for president. Is he? Yes, he said he is. Well, There's he's, a- yeah, he filed the paperwork. I mean, he's definitely running. Look, right now, um, you know, look, it's funny. It's kind of like, let's, let's like look at the threats to Donald Trump. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Um, let's take them one at a time. Number one threat. Uh, establishment Republicans, like, you know, dissing him, uh, like Mitch McConnell speaking out against him. I don't think that matters. Um, Trump, Trump, uh, what Trump did, Trump did not seduce the base of the Republican Party. He created a new base for the Republican Party by bringing in people who didn't vote before. So those people are still loyal to him. And these are people who didn't vote before because they don't like establishment Republicans like Mitch McConnell. So when Mitch McConnell and people like that uh, you know, insult Donald Trump, that just feeds into Trump's narrative that he's an insurgent candidate, even though he's a ex-president, and that he's an outsider, and that he was never accepted by the deep state, and that he's fighting back for them. Um, I don't I don't think they're, they're a threat. What do you think? Um, no, I, yes. Okay, then other threats, the indictments. Um, he's under, oh, there's, a raft of, there's a raft of investigations. Um, like like this asshole hasn't been investigated for the last 30 goddamn years. I mean, come not, on. Yeah, not to mention his people, you know, um, for the DOJ to indict him on the current on the on the um, current charges that they're looking at, they have to be like he's a he's a he's a, a former president and very and front runner for the Republican nomination. Uh they have to be sure that it's a cakewalk, that they can't fuck up. They're gonna win no matter what. No prosecutor really can usually say that about a case. So I'd say that this is a there's a strong chance that for just political reasons, they don't indict. And um, and I don't really think they're wrong. Um, And then so I, I don't think the indictments are also the indictments feed into his narrative. They're picking on me. They don't like they. I'm yeah, fighting yeah, for yes. you. That's why they don't like you. That's why they're picking on me. Right. Yeah. Yes, um, exactly. Yes. So, so, so no, anytime I, I hear, anytime I hear like the Washington Post or the Wall or the New York Times go, oh, they got him this time. Oh, and I hear our cartoonist friends who are on the left, which is most of them. Yeah. Or, or left. I'm, that's, you know, marginal. Uh, but let's say they're on the left and they say, oh, they got him this time. This is it. I'm just going, no, no, it is not yeah. it. You're so then, nuts. so then next threat, a rival candidate like Ron DeSantis. Um, maybe. Certainly, I think I th- there was a poll that came out yesterday, although it's an outlier, that said that that found DeSantis ahead of Trump. 
in among Republican likely primary voters, but it was a small poll. It, you know, it's an outlier. You'd want to see more polls like that. I don't know enough about DeSantis as a campaigner. I mean, I watched the I watched his reelection campaign. He's not very likable. He's very no. Nixonian in his approach to. I mean, he's. Wonky. I don't know how he plays in. I don't know how he plays in other parts of the country, like where they have a different temperament, like in like the Upper Midwest and stuff like that. But if he if he couches himself, and you don't do it by saying I'm not Trump, you don't do that. You don't do no. that in the Republican Party that nominated Trump twice. You already. have to have your own vision. Right. You have to say I'm the future. He's the past. That sells. That's it. And not to mention, I think that's the threat to to Trump is being perceived as yesterday's man. Um, If he's perceived as and and he's playing into that by, you know, just constantly talking about his grievances over January 6th and over the over being impeached, over the over the investigations, over uh, the 2020 stolen election, supposedly. Right. All that is like, that's all about the past. It's not about making America great again. It's about restoring Donald Trump again. If that's that's the threat. American politics, you know, it's not like Serbia where they're still arguing about the 1389 Battle of Kosovo. <laughs> um, you know, they are, you know, American po- elections are all about what's happening right now and what's going to happen in the future. That's all. So that's, I don't know. The question is, is that... What do you think? Is that an existential threat to Donald Trump or are his supporters still going to be there for him? When I drive across this country, this great land of ours, I still see a lot of four hundred dollar Trump flags that people paid for hanging from from people's yards. And I mean, new ones, 2024 ones. Yeah, no, I I, I'm seeing those as well. And down here in um, in Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Georgia. uh, yes, you see those everywhere, everywhere. Not to mention, you know, uh, fuck, fuck Joe Biden stuff. I mean, it's yeah. Um, Let's go, Brandon. Yeah, Love all that Trump. stuff, all of that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, anyone, anyone who thinks that we're getting past Donald Trump, it's, not yet, it's not yet. And we're not past him until he's dead, Ted. You and I both know. I don't think we're past him until there's like some incredible. You know what? What basically can do Donald Trump and could do in Donald Trump would be a unified opposition under someone. I think of 1980 democratic party, Jimmy Carter was in trouble because he was confronted by Ted Kennedy who Ted Kennedy was a formidable candidate and, um, and beloved by Democrats. And he really did present a major and, and, you know, Carter was weakened by the economy and the hostage crisis. Um, I, you know, I, I think, he was a real threat and it would need to be someone like that. They've had some kind of seriously big figure in the GOP who can come after Trump and just own him. I don't see that right now. I think DeSantis has the temperament to do it. Um, But, you know, the problem, the thing about Trump is that Trump is also kind of fun to watch. I mean, I know my, he's incredibly entertaining. Yeah. The liberals listening, will go roll their eyes and say, he's an asshole. He's horrible. He's a, He's a, yep, but true. but he's entertaining, especially for his his base. Uh, yeah. this, I think DeSantis would be the only person that I can think of who At would. Uh, the Democrats. I mean, okay, let's go back to the party you are kind of peripherally are kind of attached to. But uh, let's say fifteen years. Let's say, by the way, let's just say theoretically, Arnold Schwarzenegger twenty years ago could have maybe 
I don't know that he was. I don't think he was ever taken seriously as a national figure. I really don't. That's true. All right. But I'm thinking it like needs to be someone like that in terms of temperament, personality. Yeah, just a charisma. So on the Democratic side, it looks like Joe Biden. I mean, he's got a number of wins in the last few weeks. He looks like he's on a roll. Uh, Inflation is down. It looks like it's cooling. The uh, Federal Reserve Board just so is the housing market. So is the economy. So is the Federal Reserve Board has got to shut up. Stop it. Stop it. They can't help themselves. They really can't. Uh, But okay, let's just. uh, But 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 it looks like the economy with the jobs market. So yeah. Is going to so the question to is: Is Biden running? I think he. I think he is. He's showing every sign. I think it's. I think it's madness. I'm still. So I'm going to say my certainty that he's not running has declined, but it's still over fifty percent. Um, I was really sure he wasn't running. Now I'm still pretty sure he's not running. Really? I just don't think. I think it doesn't. I think we're we're there's a tendency we're we tend to view this as a political question. And I think it's a physical question. It's a medical question. Can he fucking do it as a human being? Can can he, at the age of 82, conduct a real, as opposed to last time, an actual candidate, um, you know, campaign for the presidency of the United States? I don't think so. I just don't see it. I mean, it, he's. it's a really fucking hard thing to do to campaign for the American presidency. Um, I don't know if you've been watching this uh- the uh, conference on business in Africa and the trying to, it's so funny because it's so American. We're going to throw, we're going to put invest $20 billion in Africa with following a year where China has thrown in almost $400 billion into trade with Africa. Yes. Um, it's like $1 million. <laughs> um, but, but watching by Africa has always been a fascination for me, just uh, from a purely economic and policy position. And they say no president has ever engaged him. And by the way, our listeners are going to go, the ones who like Ted more than me are going to go nuts because, but don't forget George W. Bush really engaged Africa during the, his two terms. He was probably by far and away much more than than Obama, much more than Clinton engaged Africa on a, on a very Particularly on every AIDS, level, on AIDS, fighting AIDS in particular. So there was a president who did that. They just don't like to, you know, mention him. And it's um, weird. I mean, Bush Bush wasn't very good about bragging about that for whatever reason. But no, no. But Biden. Uh, so I'm watching this with interest, and I've watched this. Uh, Biden addressed them yesterday, and oh my God, Ted, it's just he's getting worse. No, I of course he's getting worse. He's old as shit. He's they just have, old, and he's old. He's an old eighty. And it's almost like they have a word per cue card. I be leave in F free. I mean, I watch it. It's not as bad as you're saying, but it's, it's bad. Not, it's, it's gotten worse. It, but it has is. gotten worse. And I uh, know, I mean, so I think I still don't see how he can run um, or even, you know, it could be, he could he maybe this is the scenario really he announces that he's running and then like a year from now he has to change his fucking mind like an idiot well that would be a catastrophe for the democratic party i mean but that you could see that happening easily yeah i mean i can see him like or just not him announcing it but the announcement the president of the united states has passed away this morning Uh uh-huh yeah then great and then Harris is the obviously Harris is the nominee, and that's yeah. it. 
Donald Trump 2.0, no question. Yeah. No, I mean, could you imagine a Harris Trump? I mean, he'd eat her up alive. Yeah, no question. And I mean, the thing is, there's a lot of Democrats who are very afraid of Trump and would hold their nose and vote for Harris. And, and, and you know, some people would get into the fact that she's a woman of color uh, and the history making potential there. But there'd be a lot of progressives, <clears throat> people like me, who would just <laughs> not show up for her. Yeah, yeah. She would not energize anybody. I, I mean, Biden didn't himself. In and of himself, did not energize anybody in 2020, but he was running against an incredibly unpopular and uh, motivating candidate in Donald Trump. People hated Donald Trump. Well, and so, he, and they were really disgusted by what Trump did with COVID and his anti-masking thing and all that. So, well, think- and not just well, he didn't do anything. That's the problem. And whenever I talk to Republicans about this, they have to concede the point that the White House didn't make any, didn't lead at all. No, they were anti-leading. It was very strange, for sure. I mean, he could have, I mean, you know, DeSantis, I mean, you could take that model and make it national. You could have said, and there could have been protocols in place. I mean, there was a way to handle if you didn't think masks were effective, and it turns out that they weren't um, all that effective, unfortunately. Yeah, that's true. Um, Although maybe if we'd had N95s and, but look at, look at what's happening in China. Have you been following this? I mean, Chinese are kind of like basically now, COVID is running rampant in China. Um, they, at the peak of the Omicron wave here in the U.S., uh, we were the 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 rate of uh, of infection was doubling once every week or two, and in China it's currently doubling every few hours because they've basically given up and they've decided to let it spread through the population. But there's no antibodies because. There's not enough vaccines and there's and there's not there's no immunity. So so basically they the government has decided in light of the protests, like fuck it. And so now, you know, they're gonna be completely overwhelmed. I guess you could say in a way, well, they're all gonna get this this variant, which is not nearly as bad as the OG variant from 2019. So uh, you know, they're not as many the high a lower percentage of Chinese nationals will die than did uh, American nationals, but it's still going to be a lot of fucking deaths. I'm not so sure that the, the OG is not still, if it hasn't run its course there, if it's still not lurking in the background somewhere. Um, no, it's, it's, it's gone. It's gone. It doesn't work that way. The OG, I mean, the OG variant's gone. You can't get that anymore. You can, you, you can stand in line. You can't get one. It's like, it's like, it's, it's the ones that, that are right? out there now. Yeah. It's gone. It doesn't, yeah, it mutates, it changes. So okay. the okay. one that you're going to get now is going to be like whatever, BA4 or something like that. Huh? Okay. So yeah, I learned something. And so yeah. did you, Sometimes. the listener. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think that should just about wrap it up here at the uh, DMZ America podcast. Ted, where can we see your work? Uh, you can go to whowhatwhy.org, sputniknews.com, GoComics.com slash Ted Rawl, or you can go to Rawl.com. This would be a reminder at this time that uh, uh, editorial cartoon books are an excellent gift at for the holidays to the uh, car- to the cartooning fan uh, and flamethrower drone fan in your <laughs> family. Or and uh, so, if you go to my website Rawl.com, 
You can order any of my books and I will sign them and draw a little illustration uh, in the uh, in dedicated to the person of your choice, which might be you. Uh, so uh, feel free to do that. Yeah. And they're really, they're great. I love your books. So yeah, you, any one of them would be an excellent gift. Uh, you can take, by the way, I want to give a shout out here for both Ted and I to Centerclip, mm -hmm. uh, the new app that Ted and I are, uh, have been flattered to be made a part of. It's, it's free. It's, as I said, it's, it's absolutely free. It's 30 second to five minute pod, mini podcasts. Uh, we respond to, it gives us the opportunity to respond immediately to breaking news. I haven't been in it lately because I've been fighting the flu, but Ted has been the Uber Uber poster. And in fact, the last Meister. month, last month they 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 graded you know the most popular posts, and I was number five. I was stoked, but number four and number three was fucking Ted Rawl. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's a it's a fascinating uh, approach to communication, and it's a whole new idea. And the guys who are putting it together are brilliant. So do yourself a favor, center clip is its name and the, and the as ted mentioned it's free the um the app is free you can see my work if you're interested at all go to gocomics.com slash scott standis or gocomic.com slash prickly city see my comic strip go to chicagotribune.com slash opinion see my gallery there go to dallas morning news slash opinion see my gallery there and that just about covers it up ted this was fun thank you so fun thank you uh we'll see you again next time uh until then We'll see you in the funny papers. Bye. Bye.